and welcome to the very first episode of my very first podcast. Thank you so much for being here. It does feel very surreal. Uh, I'm just sat here in bed. Not sure if you needed to know that information, but if you can hear some seagulls squawking nearby, you're welcome. Um, And I've just been listening back to this first episode and it actually made me smile quite a lot. Before recording this chat, I had no idea what my guest Giovanna Fletcher would want to talk about, and I really wasn't even sure if she'd encountered many turds. And I think that's what I'm going to keep learning time and time again, is that turds really do happen to us all, and how we deal with them is so unique to us. I think at this stage I should give you a bit of a heads up, we discuss miscarriage. I think at this point I shut up and let you listen to this episode. And please make sure you follow so you don't miss any future episodes as well. So enjoy. I think it might seem quite inconceivable that today's guest might have anything turdy to talk about. Um, She is the host of award-winning podcast, Happy Mum, Happy Baby, Mum of Three, um, happens to be the nicest person ever, Queen of the Castle um, from I'm a Celeb, Get Me Out of Here. Uh, best-selling author, actress, seemingly very happily married, <laughs> living her dreams and having the best life ever. On the outside, this is what we seem to see. Um, so I am so happy. And also, Cobfield patron. I should probably say that as well. Um, I should say that at the start, shouldn't I? Oh, I um, <laughs> but ultimately, my friend, uh, Giovanna Fletcher, um, I'm so happy that we get to talk about turdy things today um I, I i think i and hopefully everyone listening is going to be very interested to hear what you've got to say about something less shiny that's happened to you and how you've glittered it um so thanks for talking to me today i don't know why i already feel really emotional so oh. weird um turds are interesting you know and when you said to me you left me a voice there only one you take your one turd to the table <laughs> and um I think it's what's fascinating about turds is that each turd it has an effect and sometimes multiple turds come together to to teach you your biggest learnings. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think turds are an emotional thing. And life is full of them. Mm-hmm. And I think um, it doesn't matter who you are, what yeah. walk of life you're on, you will encounter them. Yeah. And I'm interested to know what turd you are bringing to the table today. <laughs> Well, I think that's probably why I'm emotional because I think I've I've written a list of turds. Okay. And um, so you know when you're like, what shit has happened to me that I can talk about? Um, that I uh, and also the things that come after it. Um, and I would go back to um, 2000 and um, and 13 when oh no not 2013 2012 um, I would go back to 2012 um, when I had a miscarriage. So, um, like lots of people, I thought uh, in my head that I would uh, get married, get pregnant, have a baby. It would all go really nicely. Um, I, uh, you know, those typical things. I'm going to find out on Valentine's Day that I'm pregnant or Christmas Day. It's going to be all these amazing things. Um, But in the lead up to to actually getting married, I found out I had PCOS. So I think I'd always thought it would be a bit of a... um, a challenge to get pregnant I thought what it, is PCOS PCOS is polycystic ovary syndrome okay. so like it, there's different things that that happen so basically in really simplistic terms from what I understand of it because I'm not a doctor mm. 
um, your, uh, you, you, your body creates too much insulin, which creates too much testosterone. Uh, but your testosterone creates the follicles that uh, in your ovaries that then your um, eggs are made in, if mm-hmm, you like. Mm-hmm. So too many follicles means too many eggs and none of the eggs mature properly. Okay. Uh, so yeah, yeah. your chances of uh, pregnancy are a lot slimmer. Um, and, uh, and interestingly, the medication for it is the same medication that someone with um, diabetes is often given. So me and my father-in-law are on the same medication. <laughs> Very funny. Right. Um, yeah. um, um, so, yeah, so in my head, I, th- I just thought it was going to be something that took a long time. And also the symptoms that come with that, it's, you know, it's mood swings, it's spots, it's hairiness, it's weight, it's... Uh, so many things that make you feel really mm, unsexy. Sexy, yeah. yeah. Um, so it wasn't the best. And um, I can actually remember uh, a doctor uh, putting me, like just my NHS doctor putting me on this pill, and it totally didn't agree with me at all. It made all my symptoms worse. Like one of my best mates was pregnant at the time. And the, what I felt hormonally that I was going through, I was complaining more than she was, and she was actually growing a baby. Like that, wow. that pill just didn't agree with me at all. Yeah. Uh, so I came off that, went on a, a much kinder one, went on metformin, um, then went on um, Clomid and eventually got pregnant. And it happened quite quickly from seeing this new doctor. And and I just remember thinking, it's all too easy. It's hap- it's come too, too easily. And um, uh, but at the same time, just wanting to completely embrace it and just believe that this this it felt like a miracle was was going to to you know that that was our future and you can't help it. i think as soon as someone sees those pregnant lines come up although i'd never do the lines why anyone does a pregnancy test that involves lines is beyond me because actually until covid i didn't believe those lines you know i just like how can you tell what is a faint yes. what is this line if it's any kind of line it's a line no just tell me pregnant not pregnant yeah, i need a digital thing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so um See, I I had done that, and um, and it turns out actually I do love peeing on sticks, whether they're ovulation <laughs> tests know? or pregnancy. I just love a love a love a pee stick. Yeah, I'm all over that. Top five activities in life. <laughs> yeah, <Peeing on stick. laughs> give me a stick Great. and I'm happy. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I can uh, I can remember finding out that I was uh, pregnant for the first time with just being completely utterly blown away, and we'd only told two people. Um, because I, th- I just had a feeling it was, it was, I was too lucky. Why? I think because I knew that I'd been told that with my PCOS, it was going to be hard. It was going to be difficult. Right. You've been led to believe that. That okay, fine. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, and then, literally, it, it wasn't. I, I wasn't pregnant for long before I had a miscarriage, and um, and I can just remember it feels like such a a horrible moment because you you're living in this this mind that's you know dreaming of the future already your mind is going yeah. to prams to what the things that what 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 is life going to look like now you've got this little bundle uh, like coming along yeah then but being, not only your mind's going there but your hormones are going your there, hormones yeah your body is completely yeah. changing mm. um you know for me and tom had been together for 10 years by that point so it was sort of seeing our future in yeah. a really different way yeah. and um yeah i i literally woke up uh, one Saturday morning and um, everyone's, you know, when you are pregnant, it's your worst nightmare. I, I went to the toilet, there was blood. Mm. Um, and I can remember Tom had to go to, um, he was doing radio in London and then had to go on to um, Birmingham to do another, uh, like a summer show type event. 
um, but so I remember I, I phoned uh, the the hospital that I was um, that I was being seen at and told them what was going on, and they said come in for a scan, and I had to go there on my own. And I can just remember the car journey, like the taxi ride there, just kind of knowing what was gonna what was happening, and. Um, Bob Marley's, um, it sounds really stupid, but Bob Marley's Every Little Thing's Gonna Be Alright came on the radio. What? And I just remember oh. swearing at Bob Marley. <laughs> no, fucking not <laughs> yeah, going okay. to be alright, is it? Yeah, exactly. But part of me, it's, so, it's so like, part of, my, part of me wanted to be like, yes, you're right, Bob, this is totally going to be okay. But in this moment, it doesn't feel like that. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And also, but was he offering me hope? Yeah. Do you know oh, what yeah. I mean? Like, is it... Is it hope that actually isn't going to mm-hmm. to to be the hope that I want it to be? Um, yeah, and I can I can remember going and having that scan and just you know your whole world kind of collapses in that moment. And was that your first scan? Had you already had a scan? No, that was my first scan. Okay. My first scan, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, just being told that I'd already had a, a complete miscarriage, okay. um, which I am very thankful for. You know, I didn't have to go and have a DNC or mm. anything. That I hear so many women, the awful stories of people having to give birth to babies that they've yeah. lost and things. Um, and uh, and I can remember straight away afterwards, uh, I, I, I can remember holding it together completely in that scan and just being like, yep, okay, mm-hmm. yep, yep. Mm-hmm. And then just walking out the room and just, you know, the world crumbling beneath me and I for me that was my first experience of motherhood that was that was me as a mum and I felt like I'd failed in every single way like my body had failed I'd failed I'd failed my unborn baby I'd failed Tom in terms of what our future would look like um you know and you can kind of rationalize things now if you like and um but that doesn't help and I can remember you know what? At the t- I saw Tom literally finishes radio just as I was at the end of my appointment. So I literally stepped outside. He was a minute around the corner. Um, he stopped, gave me a, a massive hug, then got back in the car with the McFly guys, drove off when I got into a car home, and just this emptiness, this numbness, and and I um at that point it's that a weird thing of wanting people to be there for you. But at the same time, not like I, I needed my family to know what had gone on, what had happened, because it was m- massive to me. Um, but at the same time, I needed to just close off and, I guess, process it. Yeah. So I remember I, I sent them a text message, which, you know, is not the best way to deliver news to anyone because they did, none of them knew that I was pregnant anyway. But I just wanted to kind of say this is the situation. Yeah. Um, but the best thing that happened that day was that Izzy Judd who was um, Johnston at the time, mm-hmm. um, She, her and Harry were about to get married the following weekend, yeah. and she came around with all of her wedding favours. And it was literally a case of we sat there putting stickers on matchstick boxes or on packets of seeds that they were little, little favours that they were going to be giving out. Just that monotony mm-hmm. of doing a task, yeah. Yeah. of having someone sit with you. And I've heard it mentioned since uh, about that, you know, someone literally sitting in that moment with you. You don't need anything. So you just need someone there to listen if those words come you know and uh and that to me was always such a powerful powerful thing that she did so it was enough to distract your mind but not anything too heavy so it was yeah. just enough yeah, it's yeah what shit. A great there's no there's no yeah. there's no way around mm-hmm. the event that's happened it's, yeah. it's a rubbish thing to happen yeah but like you say you can't fix that no 
at all. So yeah. no words can can make that better. Mm. So 2012, that's 10 years ago. Mm. I feel like maybe there's more conversations about miscarriages now, but back then not so much, right? Not so much at all. And, and the conversations, uh, you know, when I did start speaking to people about it, there was very much, uh, oh, well, at least, you know, you can get pregnant. Um, I had uh, one friend say to me, um, oh, well, my doctor says you're not really pregnant until you're 12 weeks anyway. Right. <laughs> you know, like all these things that, uh, you know, that are really unhelpful and just make you feel like no one is taking your pain seriously. And and um, I would say that the time after, after it, I felt I felt sad and then I felt really angry, really angry. Uh, and I can remember a great friend of mine um, had seen this interview on TV uh, of, uh, of of a guy who had written a book for his wife who had PCOS and about pregnancy and everything. And my friend had bought me this book and given it to me and kind of like, you know, this is this might help in some way moving forward. And I can just remember looking at that book going, fuck off. Written Not by a guy? Him. Written by a, doc- a doctor guy, okay. yeah, about the different things. But it's literally all about, well, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. And I think my anger at that point just grew. Like, mm. why do I have to do, why can't I do all these things? Mm. You know, why Why can't I just get, get pregnant? Why has it ended in miscarriage? Like, But then from that, I think what I what I realised is actually a loss is a loss. And... Um, there is a grieving process, and I don't, I don't you know, I, I don't think it's ever, ever something that you forget or, you know, you fully move on from. I think it stays with you, and I think, you know, since then, having children, spoiler alert, I've got three kids now, um, I think, actually, it does make you think about it a little bit more, in, in a way. You know, I know that Tom's only, pro- only processed it after we had Buzz, but I always say, uh, well, first of all, I would say that, um, that within that grief, there was a a point where I started to feel a bit of I started to feel like my body needed my love again you know I I had so much hatred towards it and it made me look at how I've treated it so much like so badly throughout the years you know we've all grown up in a world of diet culture and being told that our bodies are full of flaws and things like that and um, and I had never been more ashamed of it than I was after the miscarriage, and um, but in the months that followed, I had so much gratitude to it, and um, I then did start treating it a lot better because I just I felt like actually <laughs> in a weird way because I'm talking about my body, which is me, like it's not it's not your fault, and actually you you need a bit of TLC, you need a bit of love, you need a bit of respect. Um, so I did uh, from from then on. When I felt ready, I did go back to that book, and I did kind of view it in a very very different way. Yeah, and I think just the mindset of it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are so there's so much research going into the space now um, to to look into why it happens to prevent it from happening. So many people have recurrent miscarriages, and they're working out why and helping those those people. But what it really did for me was it showed me how people um, don't talk, you know, don't talk about certain certain aspects of life because either it's a taboo, like miscarriage is a conversation that people don't like talking about, but actually it's a fact of life, it happens. So going forward from the miscarriage, I, would, I have always said that buzz is my silver lining because even time-wise, you know, 
unless I unless me and uh, Tom got jiggy very quickly <laughs> with a premature baby, I would not have Buzz in my life, my my eldest son, were it not for that miscarriage. And in some weird way, I think Buzz was my gift. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, so I guess for me that is Buzz is the glitter of my turd. <laughs> He's going to listen back to this hopefully one day and be like, it's so great. It's so endearing to hear that from my mother. How soon after the miscarriage did you have? Um, I fell um, pregnant about eight months after after the miscarriage. When my when Marin got pregnant, my mm. twin sister, I was like, what do we do now? Do we call someone <laughs> to tell them? Like a doctor. Does a doctor need to know that you're pregnant? She was like, I don't think so. Not until I guess I need a scan or whatever. But then... At some point, you have to go see a professional because there's something growing inside of you. Um, Do they have those conversations then, like, about how common miscarriages and and what they could potentially expect? Absolutely. So because of PCOS and because I'd had um, a nightmare um, with my GP, I'd gone to see a specialist. So I did actually get an early scan. And even at that point, you know, there was no heartbeat. And uh, I, I was told that, you know, there's one in five chance, I think it was then, but I think it's one in four chance of miscarriage at that point. So it's that weird thing where you even then, you know, you've seen this little speck on a scan, which offers so much hope, mm-hmm. but you go away with that little bit of, you know, knowledge in your brain that actually this this little dream of yours still yeah. might not be a reality. Yeah. And I can't tell you the emotion that comes from seeing so there's that screen and then a few if literally a couple of weeks later I went back and it was a it was a a blob is the Mm -hmm. best way to describe it a blob and you see this part of it in there just sort of thumping away and then hearing a heartbeat it's just the best feeling ever yeah. And it, it's so difficult to to <laughs> to associate what you're seeing on the screen with what is going on inside you. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a really weird thing to kind of go, well, that's in me. And I guess it does make that moment of okay, he's not, there's a heartbeat. Oh my god, this actually a human shaped now has a baby in there. I find that must heartbeats. make that moment all the more incredible. Yeah, and I find heartbeats so emotional to yeah. listen to. I've got this amazing video of um, Buzz and Buddy. When I was pregnant with Max, they came with me to a um, uh, an appointment with a midwife, and uh, and it was one where you couldn't see. There was no scan as such, but they had the little oh my god, what's it called? The little thing that they can hear the heartbeat. Well, that's what they look. Well, that that piece of equipment. Some kind of a monitor. I don't, yeah, I don't know. There. Uh, so Do I was you not ask me. Yeah. <laughs> ultrasound. Oh yeah. Ultrasound, <laughs> like an ultrasound where you can oh, yeah. hear the yeah. heartbeat. And uh, and I've got this amazing video where Buzz and Buddy are sat next to each other in this one chair. And then they're just looking over at me and the midwife kind of prodding me around. And then this heartbeat fills the room. And just the look at the, t- the two of them give each other when Tom tells them that that's, that's a baby's heartbeat. Their faces are just in awe and wonder and excitement. Um, yeah, heartbeats are, I think, the most brilliant thing ever. Mm-hmm. I think... I didn't really believe that Marin had a baby inside of her. Were you in denial? Like, this is not happening. <laughs> um, and then I was like, oh, it's a fucking heartbeat. Yeah, it is happening. No, it was really special. Yeah, how did you feel? <laughs> it, was, it was so magical. <laughs> um, 
No, it, it, it equally. <laughs> You've gone all sarcastic, but it was um, magical, right? <laughs> I'm trying to channel the exact feelings that Buzz was feeling at the time. Um, no, it was, absolutely. I felt very happy that it was just me and Myron in that room together as well, with the obviously with the midwife. And um, hearing that for the first time, it was so freaky. Because it's... I mean, I found the whole pregnancy, Myron's pregnancy terrifying. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because... I, you know, I don't know that many mothers. I'm not a mother myself, but I guess um, in the same vein with cancer, you hear of the horror stories. Yeah. The horror stories are in your mind because it's the experience you haven't experienced it yourself mm-hmm. in a positive way, and um, it's I, it's just terrifying because something is taking over your body. Um, it is so natural and so amazing, but at the same time, so unpredictable and new. And I don't like situations that I can't control. <laughs> so, um, you know, if Myron was happy and all good, then obviously I was too. But it's still, I was still scared until until Herbie arrived. I was terrified. And then, I mean, being in the actual delivery room with them as well was the worst day <laughs> of my life. <laughs> I'm so glad I had Gray and Myron's husband there as well. Obviously, he was there. I wouldn't be weird if I was just there but um I think uh we always say like it's us who needs PT like like some kind of trauma therapy we well, have PTSD I, I think from there, it I think there is that yeah. I, I think seeing someone that you love mm, go through going, going through that yeah. and um that I had amazing births but I can't mm. imagine what that Watching. would be like to watch yeah because yeah, in my head kind of got things under control or not or I'm giving control over to my body whatever version of that that is but on the outside Mm -hmm. where that person can't do anything Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Tom just literally shoved jelly babies in his mouth the whole time yeah I mean I had all the snacks as well they didn't really help that much but (laughs) I just remember thinking whatever like thing hormones and other chemicals that are flooding Myron's body right now, they're not happening to me and Graham. Yeah. <laughs> if you could share that with us, that would be great because it's an entirely different experience for the yeah. person who's watching. Um, okay, so Buzz mm-hmm. is the ultimate glitter. He's the ultimate glitter He's of my turd. He's the ultimate yeah. glitter of your turd. I shall tell him this one day. <laughs> <laughs> I've always today. just said he's my silver lining, but now he is, he is the glitter of my turd. Oh. Yeah. Let's expand on that. Being a mum. Now yes. finally being a mum. And I guess um, being a mum of three, looking back on... I mean, did you ever... Were there ever moments where you're like, okay, what... what Did you ever imagine... Allow yourself to imagine a life with without children? I was always the maternal one within any friendship group. Mm. And yeah, I think... I can totally imagine that. <laughs> I always just assumed that they would be there. And after the miscarriage... I did have, and when we didn't know what was, you know, going on, I had friends offer to be like surrogates and stuff. I think I always would have had children in my life, whether that was me birthing children, um, adopting, fostering. I think I always had that maternal itch within me that needed Mm -hmm. to be fulfilled. Yeah, I just, I think I wasn't aware of the conversations that weren't being had within motherhood. And, And for me... I would say my, the biggest thing that I kind of took away from the whole experience of the miscarriage was that people need to talk more honestly. So when I did have Buzz, and that was a bit of a different turd in some ways, the reality of motherhood and the rawness of it, it made me realise that actually 
I don't need to keep this hidden. I don't need to make it all look shiny and sparkly. I don't need to for us all to be in white and post cheesy smiles. I want to see a little bit of the reality and I want to have those conversations out there. But it, I would say that it's only off the back of people not talking about miscarriage that I realised that we actually have to start speaking about topics that mm-hmm. we, we feel like that we just simply can't shy away from because they're a part of life. Now, motherhood is such a massive part of my life and not just because I'm a mum to three boys, but yeah. that is such a massive part of the work that I do. Mm-hmm. So what I think in 2018, there was some uh, research out that said um, that that was just released that um, the leading cause of death in new mums is suicide within the first year of giving birth and that is all down to people not talking the hormones the things that go on in your head and so I think off you know that was a further catalyst to kind of go you can't not talk about these things you need to to let them out whatever whatever that is yeah why do we know that why is that not a bigger because suicide is another conversation that we just don't Mm -hmm. talk about i saw russell brown saying something amazing on loose wind once which i always paraphrase and there's not there's not a definition between someone who would commit suicide and someone who wouldn't Mm -hmm. the definition is between you and the line of suicide so it's the line is within you it's not between each person mm-hmm. and uh, so I don't know I, I, again though the conversation around that is is bigger you know is is getting like talking about mental health and things but I think maternal mental health is still needs to a little bit of a kick up the butt and I think previous experiences have taught me just go out there just be an open book just talk um, get other people involved so that they can talk and share experiences because you don't know who's going to hear it at the right time Sometimes these things happen and you don't know how to vocalize them. You don't know how you don't know how to to package what you're feeling. And then hearing someone else talk about their experience, parts of it can go, yeah, I felt like that. I've experienced that. That is what I'm feeling. And and suddenly you feel you feel heard. You feel seen. You feel held mm-hmm. in some way. Um, and that is really really powerful. And still now, like when I hear people talking about miscarriage and articulating, you know, the 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 experience so well it still floors me still it still does yeah it's I guess such a unique experience isn't it for everyone and you can hit listen to every person in the world and it will mm. still you'll, you'll always hear something different and yeah. unique to them right how long ago did you start happy mum happy baby the podcast 2017 okay wow yeah. so that's been running five years yeah and it was only meant to be a uh well it was a book so i've written, written a book so mm. i've written fiction yeah um and i was sharing stuff online about motherhood and it wasn't the all the airy fairy mm. nice glossy bits Rainbows it was everything and yeah. yeah and i can remember going on book tours for fiction and people saying you know you should write a book about being a mum and i thought well you know what i read all those books about becoming a mum before becoming a mum and they were blooming useless to me because i all I had in my head was, you have to do it this way. This is the right way. Mm-hmm. And um, it just confused me. It turned off every single maternal instinct I had, I have, and just made me, I constantly had this dialogue in my head of, this isn't the right way to do it. So-and-so said this, this, this book said this. And I thought there was a right way. So in terms of me writing about motherhood, I was like, well, I don't want to add to that, that load. Because it kept coming up so much, if I was to add to that, what would it be? And, and I wanted it to be an honest account of motherhood, the highs, the lows, um, not um, sugarcoating it. 
saying about how difficult I found that first three weeks, how, how you know, my breastfeeding journey was 10 weeks of pure agony, you know, three months of agony and then it fell into place. Yeah, I, I thought that would be a helpful version of, of a, a, a book about motherhood. Um, and the, the book tour to that was so emotional. I, I can't even... I can't even tell you how, you know, doing signings, doing events, it just felt like this collection of people had had come together and um and it was blooming brilliant. And I just thought I don't I don't want to leave that. Like, you know, so many books, you know, albums from bands, whatever it is, you know, they have their moment and then the conversation carries on, like goes elsewhere. And I just thought New mums are coming to motherhood every day. These are conversations that need to be there so that we can scoop them up. So the idea of the podcast was born and what was quite nice is the emphasis was off me. You know, I still share bits. I, I share bits now to help the um, to help the guest kind of realise that it's okay to share. Yeah. It, it, I just love hearing different voices, different experiences. What's been the most surprising experience, like um, thing that you've learned from doing the podcast? I would say that none of us really know what we're doing. Yeah. We are completely making up. So many of us go into motherhood thinking it's going to be one thing and it's really not. I, and, and I really would say, I, I used the word raw before in terms of that first three weeks, but being a parent is as raw as it comes. You know, it's it's messy and you think it's, you think that you're doing it wrong all of the time, but what you don't realise is that everyone goes to bed at night going, oh, why did I do that? tomorrow I'll be a better mum, I'll be a better version of me. But actually everyone, you know, every parent is doing that. I bet you hear all the time from listeners that they're so grateful for those conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do. And nothing, there's nothing I like more than seeing uh, 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 someone pushing a pram and stopping me and just saying, mm. you helped me, like you saved me, you know, during the night feeds or whatever it was. Like those conversations really got me through, mm-hmm. and I don't take those words lightly. No, how does that make you feel? To be honest, I just want to cry in their face because <laughs> it's like I mean, you cry in the drop of a hat. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> <laughs> like how many times are your t- eyes welled up during this podcast chat? Um, I just think, you know, these chats have helped me, you know, and. Um, and I think I always allude a little bit to what that means, and they help me make sense of motherhood, or mm. makes makes me realise that it is messy, and that it you can't strive for perfection in, in it because it doesn't exist. And there's so much love and beauty in it, but people always talk about that. But it's the other stuff that people don't talk about that can save people and yeah. and be able to bring the colour in. Yeah, talking of you helping other people to visit their toes. Um, I do want to talk about how you've done that in other ways too. And I think that's become, you know, you say motherhood and being a mum, it's almost become a brand for you because Mm. you have a book, you have the podcast, you have, you know, you've presented um, Baby Club. Yeah. I think a lot of mums do look to you and that's an amazing thing. But um, obviously since coming on board at Copperfield. Yeah. (laughs) And I want to talk about this because I don't think it's, I don't, I'm not sure if we've ever... Well, we've never talked about it properly, I don't think. Mm. And the impact that that has had on other people's lives. So you've been a patron of Copperfield for five, yeah, five years, years now. Yeah. 
and you've done, um, you've kind of owned our treks. So we do annual treks. Um, we've now started doing two a year. <laughs> which was my idea. <laughs> yeah, which the team <laughs> love, love that idea. Pre-pandemic, they were always abroad. And then since COVID, we've done some in the UK. Yeah. And so the idea is now to do one in the UK and some and one abroad every year. And on these trips, um, we have people from all walks of life who are doing it for all sorts of reasons. They might have had a breast cancer diagnosis themselves or they've lost someone to breast cancer. Someone has died in their family, someone close to them, a friend or whatever. And taking those steps, those 100K, wherever they are, is incredibly meaningful. So, you know, I think your first trip was Oman. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> Which I think is one of the most um, memorable trips that we've done. Because <laughs> it was the sketch- <laughs> sketchy times. Um, but what did you witness from doing those talks and uh, from doing the walks? When you were walking alongside, I mean, predominantly we have women going on these trips. Yeah. Um, who have potentially had tricky um, mm-hmm. uh, motherhoods or have lost children even. Like, what have you found? I believe that the treks are magical, that they truly, truly are. Um, to enter a scenario at the start of the week where you're strangers, you might have swapped some WhatsApp messages or seen each other on Zoom, but you don't really know each other. And there's so many unknowns and there's so much apprehension that goes on in the lead up to a trek. And there's something amazing that happens when someone's walking. I think because you're not sat across from someone, someone's not eyeballing you for an answer about why you're here. Words tumble out. Your brain just kind of loosens up. Your heart, you know, goes a bit fuzzy and it just melts out. And off the back of that, because those barriers are down, those words are out. Plus, for a lot of people who might have different turds or different, you know, be on this challenge for, you know, a variety of reasons, they can't necessarily or they stop themselves saying things at home with their loved ones um and what i have found is that these treks i don't know whether that's it's because the people that you meet are are removed from your situation you unload in a way that maybe you don't at home and as the as a result that bond between the team just gets tighter and tighter as the days go by silly things like day one I guess this is a is a, is a kind of a symbolic in some way. Day one, going to the toilet, you're so like, where do I do this? Where I can't. There's not a rock big enough for me to be able to squat behind. I'll I'll stay here. You go a mile up the road, and I shall find a spot, and I shall we. By day five, you're literally squatting next to someone. You're all taking in the view <laughs> together and doing and doing a squat. In many ways, it is about looking left and right and scooping people up. And bring and uh, bring them along for the ride, and and making sure that everyone's okay. Um, but they are just the most magical trips. I love hearing you talk about it. It makes me feel very proud, obviously, because you know we started doing the treks as a fundraiser. Yeah. No charity decides to do treks to for that. Um, <laughs> you no mean one, you no didn't one... start this for, to give everyone an emotional, emotional, amazing experience? <laughs> um, we didn't realise that we were creating therapy for people. <laughs> No one does these, you know, charity challenge who help make these facilitate these treks for charities. They do it to ensure that charities can do these um, treks easily, I guess, alongside all the amazing work that charities do and facilitate the fundraising and ensure that we raise lots of money to, so we can actually do our day jobs, which yeah. is obviously ensuring people check their chest and 
um, get their breast cancer diagnosed early. Um, and that's not what the, that's when, at the trek, all that is a side, like a side thing. And then you're walking and you're experiencing something incredible together. Yeah. Um, obviously, I've been on one of these treks myself a few years ago in Iceland. And so I've seen firsthand as well the bonds that are made. Um, but we haven't been on one together yet, so I do hope that we do that. I keep trying to drag you along. Yes. <laughs> and you've since written a book called Walking on Sunshine, which is obviously a fictional book, but um, ultimately it's about three friends that go on a walk um, together Yeah. Um, to Peru, right? They're in Peru. Yeah, they are. Um, yeah, so I've started reading it, but I haven't actually got to the bit where they go yet. But firstly, I don't know why I've only just opened a book, but I have to. I'm admitting that to you now. And... Um, Firstly, you've dedicated the book to all the, the, the trekkers and yeah. Copperfield, which made me feel really emotional. And then at the back, you um, you said in the acknowledgements that the treks helped you find you. Yeah. And I want you to tell me how. Yeah, see, I'm getting emotional <laughs> now. <laughs> um, uh, I'm not going to look at you. So, you don't so, so we've just finished Pembrokeshire. Mm. I had this feeling getting in the car on the way there, just feeling really emotional, realizing how there's a great feeling of family when we go on these treks. Charity challenges you mentioned, they get us as as a charity. They get that everyone is coming from different walks of life. We're all different speeds. Mm. We're all different abilities, and and they they help us encourage each other. I would say that these treks make me feel like me. I think all of us get a little bit in our heads at times. Life has different pressures and it is therapy. It's free therapy. It's it's going somewhere and giving yourself over completely. You just get this sense that it's my me time, which I know sounds ridiculous because you go, and I, ha- I have a different responsibility when I go on the trek. So I have, I have a role to fill. Um, I did get told off the last trek because I didn't know that a code of conduct had been sent out. Um, so I'm giving these pep talks every night, <laughs> swearing like a blooming trooper because nothing riles it, like gets everyone geared up yeah. than an F word. And then three days in, people start telling me about the code of conduct that's been sent out to say you can swear. <laughs> I was like, why has no one told me this? I was like, because your name's on the trek. Yeah, so I did get told off. No, I didn't get told off. I told myself off. And I feel I feel so lucky to do the treks. <laughs> and it's so selfish of me to be on them because I actually get so much out of them um so We've yeah tried to uh, bump her off quite a few times <laughs> I keep worrying that you are every trek i'm like oh, are you, is this it are you getting um, rid of me well we've had the chat. <laughs> no is this it are you here today is this an intervention the girls won't do it so you're telling you're staying me. in this little studio forever. <laughs> um absolutely you're never leaving uh fyi that's why i'm here to tell you um you've transformed these treks if anything you've created something so special and they wouldn't be the same without you um i think you are the glue that sticks them all these people together but ultimately you you create that feeling of let's all be ourselves now let's all step away from the lives and the craziness that we have at home and i think that's what i love about the stories that you're created you've created in the book yeah um even though they're fictional i can totally see all of those stories in real life, mm. someone who's got a hectic life at home, they are basically solo parenting. They don't feel appreciated. They yeah. have it. They, they feel like they are supposed to be grateful, but they they're struggling with that. Yeah. And they come away and they go, "Wow, I can breathe here." Yeah. And not only that, but I'm taking in breathtaking views. I'm seeing a piece of the world that I haven't been able to appreciate before, and it's all of that. And I 
never expected that from these trips. That is, <laughs> so I'm so glad that we're witnessing that now, and that well, you I'm have a, helped I'm us really to witness them because that. you pushed for me to to be on it. Let's <laughs> let's not forget that yeah. when we were teamed up with another company, they didn't want me to be a captain, but you pushed for me to do it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I'm so glad that it's not just about everyone else. That it you can see that it's of use to you too, and that, and I guess yeah, bringing it back to you know, ultimately your turd at the start of this conversation was the fear of not, I guess, the fear of not being a mum and fulfilling that mm. role that you always felt as a natural thing that you wanted to do. And then you've almost come full circle, right? I mean, I don't want to sum up your life here. <laughs> I am not. <laughs> no. Give me an epiphany, no. come on. <laughs> no, but you have and you've made motherhood very authentic, I mm. think. But I'm so glad that you give yourself time to shine in other ways too. We should appreciate all parts of you and we should all we should appreciate all parts of ourselves. Thank you. <laughs> Speech over. <laughs> I'm so glad this has been recorded. I can uh, I can play this back on the down then, days. Yeah. Um, Just remember what Chris said to you once. <laughs> do you think you can share one lesson that you've learned, something that you really want to impart here and you look back on the miscarriage and you go, that is something I want to share. Um, I think I have learnt that talking is everything mm. that we shouldn't be um, worried about. And off the back of that, uh, we should realise how important listening is. And that idea of fixing it, we don't have to fix it. Mm-hmm. We just have to listen. And sometimes that's the best thing ever. And as much as we would love to be able to take those turds away, they exist. Um, so you can't flush a toilet and get rid of them. Um, you just got to find a way of sitting alongside them for a bit before the glitter comes out. Excellent metaphor. <laughs> Excellent use of next to You turns. can have the best flushing toilet in the world. They will never go away. Yes. And then I need you to share an item, tangible or otherwise, mm-hmm. mystical item, <laughs> um, that you think helps you to glitter your turd. Absolutely, without question, my walking boots. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, it's amazing how just getting outside and going for a walk in the fresh air helps in any way. You know, um, I think uh, nothing changes when that happens, you know, whether it's a walk or a run, nothing changes. But the the pressures that you might feel are weighted down in your shoulders. They just seem to raise an inch and it just helps me be a better human that is able to function and helps my arms raise a little bit more so that I can spread that glitter a bit further. For me, the ultimate... Um, item would be my walking boots because without them I wouldn't be able to go on the treks and without that I honestly think I'd be in a very different place really mm. so we, we literally can't ban you from doing the treks again because <laughs> you'll fall to pieces is that what you're saying <laughs> yeah honestly because it's amazing seeing that you know it's like it's like a holiday romance you don't want to believe it's just a holiday romance so you see the love that continues you gri- after yeah you ha- you're such a hanger on her <laughs> God, not G in the chat again. Everyone else has left. It's just her going on. <laughs> um, then, oh yeah. So we're now going to listen to. <laughs> we're now going to listen to Aideen, um tell us about how they've glittered their turd. Hi, Chris. This is my turdy story, my glittery turdy story. Well, it's not glittering yet, but it will be. So my sister, my only sibling, my best friend. She was diagnosed with stage four melanoma 
and she died two years ago. Two months ago, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I was living in Barcelona when my sister got sick and I moved back to Ireland to be close to her and to be a help with her kids. And I haven't left, so I'm here now with the kids. I live across the road. So we're a real classic Irish family with the whole family living around. Yeah, and now I have breast cancer too, but much different thing, entirely treatable, all going to plan. So I guess that's the glitter and it's good. I haven't told the children yet. That's my my biggest fear because unfortunately it's just the same word. It's a different thing, but it's the same word. And that's that's my story. All the best to you. I wish... It's not for me to proclaim how someone, someone sees it and yeah. glitters their turd. And the fact that Aideen can already state that she has found glitter in the fact that her cancer is treatable when her sister's wasn't. I mean, that's quite something, isn't it? Yeah. She can already see a positive in a situation that I... And you would probably think that is possibly some of the worst thing that could happen. Um, maybe sometimes the glitter isn't obvious straight away. Yeah. And Aideen is in that place where the glitter isn't there yet. But the fact that she's already claiming that there will be glitter. Yeah. I mean, that is amazing. And finally... We take our glasses of water. Oh, wow. We don't have anything more fancy. <laughs> but if we did, okay. what would it be? Oh, I've become partial to a G&T. Mm. I've only just li- started liking them. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're going to imagine these are G&Ts then. Okay. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers to... <laughs> Cheers to life and all of its turds. Thanks, G. I love you. I love you. Thank you so much. Oh, I loved talking to G. I'm so grateful she talked to me about her path to motherhood and all that has glittered since then. Obviously, I'm not a mum myself, but there was so much that I could relate to in terms of that sense of failure of my body letting me down over the years and then actually realising that your body needs more love than ever. Um, And I also think we all really needed that turd flushing metaphor. There are some things we can't flush away and maybe we do all need to sit with our turds from time to time. Um, I think on that note, I want to say thanks so much for listening. If you've now got an overwhelming urge to join one of the Cobfield Treks, I'm not surprised. There's more information on how to join those on the episode notes. Thank you also to Aideen for sharing their turd littering with us. And of course, a mega thanks to Giovanna for talking to me. Please do get in touch on social media with any and all thoughts about today's episode and make sure you follow this podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. Okay, next time I will be speaking with the hilarious and brilliant Vicky Patterson. So until then, goodbye.